everyone, and welcome back to the Eco Vibes podcast, where we have interactive conversations on environmental topics with people from across the world. I'm your host, Khadija Stewart, and this is the Caribbean Ocean Perspective series brought to you by Sustainable Ocean Alliance. I am crazy excited for this episode today. You know, we head on over to Martinique to chat with Jeffrey Bernas, founder of the Caribbean Cetacean Society. And I know I'm going to learn a lot as well as our listeners. So welcome, Jeffrey. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, it's a pleasure for me to be there too. How are you? I am great. Like I said, excited. And, you know, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. I know we're going to have a great conversation. No pressure. But before we jump into things, I would love for you to introduce yourself and give our listeners uh, just a quick bio so that they can have an idea of who you are and the work you do and why you're a professional in this field. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so my name is Bernice Jeffrey. Uh, I'm the co-founder of the Caribbean Cetacean Society. We just created this NGO one years ago. Uh, but before that, I grew up in Martinique. Uh, my uncle was a scuba diver. So uh, I'm just used to go in the water like almost every day uh, being there. But I being in the water was pretty intense for me because I could learn how human could have a big impact on it. So when I start mm-hmm. uh, my degree in my bachelor and my master, I tried to focus on marine biology to actually protect what I loved in Martinique, which is the ocean. So yeah. I actually uh, traveled in France, in Canada for studying. I also traveled a little bit in the Bahamas uh, to the Capoeira Institute to work on sharks. Uh, also continue to work on sharks in the Australian Institute for Marine Sciences. Then I come back to the Caribbean. Uh, I work in the National Park of Guadeloupe. I'm a member mm-hmm. of the Scientific Council of Guadeloupe. And I work a little bit in the Agoa Sanctuary, which is a marine mammal sanctuary. And since then, I created the NGO. That is so exciting. You are so well-traveled and knowledgeable. And you know, you're truly an expert in this field. So I know you're going to be dropping some gems for us. And yeah, let's jump right into cetaceans and the whole conversation. So when I first heard the word cetacean, you know, I had no clue what that was. I had to Google it to know exactly what are cetaceans and stuff. So I know our listeners out there might be hearing the word cetaceans be like, Khadija, what is that? We have no clue. So if you could just give a quick um, definition for want of a better term of what are cetaceans. I think the, the easiest way to uh, to see what is a cetacean is just whale and dolphin. Everybody knows whales, <laughs> everybody knows dolphins. Uh, cetaceans is just like all the group of marine mammals that actually include whales and dolphins. And this is what we got mainly in the Caribbean. So, you know, in the region, we don't really hear about cetaceans, especially in the Caribbean. So I want to know if you could paint a picture of like, what exactly is happening with cetaceans in the region? You know, what species do we have? Just what's going on in general? So you're right. We don't don't hear enough about the cetacean of the region. That's so bad because there's so many of them here. Um, so in the world, you got 90 species of cetaceans, and here in the Caribbean, I think 33 have been spotted so far. So it's like one third of the biodiversity of the world, which is in our water, which this is huge. Um, we got many dolphins, many whales, some are resident, like the sperm whale or like petropical spotted dolphin, they stay in the islands. Mm-hmm. And some are also migratory species. So like the humpback whale, for example, that's going to come from the north. Uh, and they're going to um, do a migration from all the Atlantic Ocean 
and coming out water for breathing, for example. This is so cool. Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds absolutely amazing. And you know, when you hear things like killer whale, or, or you usually see them in a movie or stuff, they're always, these creatures are always painted in such a negative light and they're swallowing ships and they're just doing the worst. That that probably is not even a true and accurate representation of just how amazing they are. So how do you think we could probably break this negative perception or why does this negative perception even exists well i think in in whales and dolphin people are pretty um they like a lot the whales and the dolphin so it's pretty cool it's not like sharks when the people don't like them for nothing which is pretty mm-hmm. bad um but for example we had a group of killer whale uh, i think two months ago and they were next to the boat they were looking at us they were like going in the water jumping it was like just like big dolphin around <laughs> And we still have to consider their wild animal, like all the animals we can see in the water. So we have to be careful, of course, because we go into our environment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no, they're just amazing creatures. So I think we just be fascinating by them and that's it. I can only imagine that like being out at sea and studying these creatures, that must just be an absolutely spectacular experience. So is there any moment that kind of like really stood out to you on one of your surveys or something that was just absolutely memorable well this every day a memorable <laughs> uh, thing that happened um but some of them are like when you you're on the boat and there's like dolphin around and they just look at you and you got this eye contact where they're like kind of not talking to you but look at you like a real human mm-hmm. and and this is really awesome uh you get also some moment where you get some bridge which is like uh the whale is like actually breaching the surface of the water and jumping out. Uh, and when it's like a 40 tons whale, it's pretty impressive because you think that this is bigger than the boat. So <laughs> just remind you that you have to be respectful of those animals, but they're just like, uh, it was just for mating. So no worries. And also we got an hydrophone so we can listen what's actually happened in the water mm-hmm. uh, and, and we can listen to them. So when you listen to the ochre, it, it looks like, I don't know, just a song and it's it's awesome. So this is the good moment and you got also a pretty moment that's uh, intense when it's raining and you still have to go in the water and the weather is pretty bad or when there's like hunters around because there's some country that still ends uh, mm-hmm. from marine mammals. So this is like really stressful. So yeah, pretty good moments and pretty intense moment too. I could only imagine, hopefully maybe one day I would be able to join the Caribbean Cetacean Society when they're out on one of these excursions and be able to experience this for myself and putting it into the universe. So I know that, you know, you kind of touched on some of the negative moments that you would have experienced. So what are some of the threats that cetaceans face, especially in our waters? So I think the main threats uh, would be humans. It's really simple. We are the main threats for marine mammals, actually. Um, but you got some classic stuff that I think everybody knows, like the plastic pollution, for example. Uh, mm-hmm. If you get trash in the water, uh, they can be eaten by the marine mammal and then um, get the stomach completely full of plastic, which is pretty bad. Um, there's also entanglement, which is like, for example, we've got fades, fish aggregating device. Uh, right. And there's like nets in it, and like sometimes the whales just like play with the the buoy or the nets, and they get tangled in it, and then they just like die in the water because the the fins are completely tangled in it. Uh, but something we don't 
always think about is the noise pollution. Um, noise pollution is really, really bad. So if for a second you try to put you in the place of the dolphin and or a whale, and you spend like, I don't know, 80% of your time underwater, um, you don't really rely on the visuality cues, not on your eyes. Mm-hmm but you rely more on the sound because you're going to use them to actually do echolocation or speak to the other whales. And if there's like a big ship coming, this sound is going to actually cover all the communication that you can have, all the possibility to get food through echolocation, for example. And this is pretty bad. Yeah. You know, and this is something we definitely don't think about, like you mentioned, because as a region, you know, we have a lot of cruise ships coming in. We have a lot of ferries operating. So I could only imagine the extent of this problem on these cetaceans, you know. But let's jump into the Caribbean Cetacean Society. You know, what inspired you and your co-founder to start this organization and what is it all about? So the Caribbean Cetacean Society is a local organization to actually promote the cooperation between all the islands. Mm-hmm. Um, so Laura Pitino, which is a marine biologist from Guadeloupe, uh, is the co-founder. And we together were working in a marine mammal sanctuary. And from there, we could see that marine mammal could not see the frontier between the islands. So human put some frontier. There's like some French islands, English islands, Dutch islands. And from the perspective of a whale, they just travel from one seamount to another. And they just like cross the different islands with the different regulations. It doesn't make sense for them. Uh, to have something different, like some place they're getting hunted, some place they are protected, um, some place there's like a lot of whale watching, and it's so weird for them. So we try to actually work with all the different islands and to make them work together, to do the science together and to do the conservation together, which makes way more sense than actually work from one island only. Yeah. It, it definitely does. I can only imagine that that might be somewhat challenging, um, the whole idea of the regional cooperation. And you probably have a lot of hurdles in between, but that is definitely not an excuse or a reason to try because, like you mentioned, these creatures don't, they don't know that they're like in St. Lucia or that they're in the Bahamas and they're just traveling throughout the waters in general. So we really need everybody to be on board and have like one common vision or goal in the conservation of cetaceans. So yeah, are you guys working on any projects, any exciting projects that you could share? Sure, sure. So we just finished our expedition for the Tiwelonu project, which is a, a mix between French and English Creole, which means our little whales. Uh, we've done six weeks at sea. We've been collecting data on all the small islands, all the lesser Antilles, which is the first time uh, that have been done from Anguilla to Grenada. Um, and we wish to extend this next year, especially on humpback whale. So for this year, it was mainly on sperm whale. And we've been collecting data on all the species. And next year will be something more coastal, so more near the shore uh, to study all the other species too. Yeah. And then hopefully, you know, we could include Trinidad and Tobago on that list and some of the other countries that left out. But I know that you're still in the infancy of this project and of your NGO. So I know for sure that in the next few years, you know, you'll have the whole region on board. So I'm not even worried about that. And what I wanted to ask you, I'm thinking that like collecting this data and stuff like Yes, you have the equipment and, you know, you have the knowledge and the skill set, but I could only imagine that you would still face some challenges in doing so. And this is just for my personal curiosity. I would love to know some of the challenges you probably would have faced in collecting data. 
especially on these situations in the region? Um, well, there's many challenges. Uh, being at sea, uh, you're in a catamaran, you don't have a lot of water. So you go for like 15 days in the same catamaran with the same people that sometimes <laughs> you don't even know for. Like you're, you're going to spend time in a really tiny uh, environment with them. Um, the water is limited. So it's like a shower every two days and you have to adapt to it. Um, the weather can be really, really bad sometimes. So we got 50 knots of wind one of the time, which break the mainsail, uh, and you have to adapt. Um, sometimes there's also a lot of rain, so you cannot see the marine mammals. And sometimes the equipment can fail. So we got an hydrophone. Um, it can be tangled in, a, in the fish traps, or it can be, I don't know, cut by another boat or something like this. And that, that makes it really, really challenging. But also... Sometimes you can just spend like six or seven days, like consecutive days without anything because the waves are just not there at this time, at this moment, at this place. Right. Uh, and that's a long time because day <laughs> and night you get nothing. <laughs> and after, after seven days, you get like all the species in the same place and you say, why are you not like sprayed everywhere? Why are you just all there? <laughs> yeah. And I could only imagine it could also be somewhat demotivating if you're out there and you're just not seeing anything. But, you know, I guess you know with time that you will see something and that you will get some form of data to gather and stuff. Um, so this is your experience in um, collecting data and doing the research in the region. And I know that you studied in like Australia and Canada. So I would love to know how that experience compares to the Caribbean or if it even does, if it's the same, different, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, it was mainly on shots before. Um, so okay. I've been in Canada too. I've been in Australia and the Australian Institute of Marine Sciences, which is one of the biggest Institute for Marine Biology in the world. And it's it's completely different. I think we just got our Caribbean style. Uh, it's maybe a little bit more slow, but people are sometimes also a little bit more motivated too when they like it. Um, but I think we have a long road to go because a lot of people don't know enough about marine mammal. And, and yeah, there's a lot of work to do because some islands don't even know they got marine mammal around. Um, so yeah, it's completely different from one of the biggest institutes in the world to creating an NGO here, uh, <laughs> that was needed since, I don't, I think 20 years at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's completely different. Yeah. I know for myself growing up in Trinidad and Tobago, like dolphins and whales is not something that we would speak of as something that would exist in our country or in our waters. You know, when we think of dolphins, we would automatically think of Florida because that's just what we would see uh, and that's just what we would know. And then occasionally you would see somebody put a video, dolphins spotted and everybody would be all excited, like, oh my gosh, it's all rare occurrence, not knowing that it's not rare that this is something that happens all the time and stuff. So I think that it will be really interesting to get more people aware of cetaceans in the region and how, you know, how our activities on land are affecting them and just, just get this information in general, because like you mentioned, they're absolutely amazing species. And yeah, I think hmm, raising awareness will be such I don't want to dwell on the negative, but I just know it will be a challenge. And so, but you know, you guys are taking a step in that direction by actually even having this NGO and doing work and collecting data so that people would know, and then you're able to drive 
evidence-based decision making because it makes no sense coming up with a policy or a law and then we don't even know what's going on in the waters or like you mentioned before you know one island having a one policy and then the next island having nothing and yeah no, it has to be the entire region on board. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays off in the next few years. Oh, I think you make it right. <laughs> yeah. So I know this, um, the project you mentioned, you guys are currently working on that. So is there any plans for future projects or is this like your baby for now when you're nurturing it and growing it, etc.? cetera? Uh, so we're still doing it. So we're going to be in the field until the end of September. Um, so I'm actually going back in the water tomorrow. Um, but for next year, as I was saying, we're planning to repeat the same methods, mm -hmm. but instead of looking for sperm whale, we're going to look for humpback whale during the migrating season. Um, so that's going to be taking place from March to June next year. Uh, and actually we're going to try to include more new islands and more people from the different islands too. So maybe Trinidad and Tobago could be <laughs> Maybe. Um, again, for my own personal curiosity, and I'm sure for some of the listeners, is there a period of time during the year where we would expect to see um, like whales and dolphins more often than an ex, or is it just here 24-7 year round? Well, yeah, they, they're here. By here, we mean all the different islands because mm -hmm. they move from an island to another. Uh, but there is no seasonality for now for the for example, for the sperm whale or for the dolphin, for the humpbacks, yes. Uh, they're going to be here uh, and probably going to Trinidad and Tobago, maybe. We don't know yet. Uh, <laughs> from January to June, uh, there's like right. a big season. But for the other one, like sometimes you can get, I don't know, the biggest group we got was like 800 individuals. Wow. In the same place, which is like <laughs> dolphin everywhere, all around the board from four different species. Wow, that is a lot. <laughs> that is incredible. I don't, I was not expecting that big number. I don't know. It just blew me away. Yeah, that is incredible. And for anybody who's interested in getting into this field, do you have any advice for them? Any starting points that they could take? Because I know, like we mentioned, you know, we're trying to get people excited about cetaceans and marine conservation on a whole. So any advice at all that you could give, I think our listeners would greatly appreciate it. Uh, I think marine biologist is one of the hardest work in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I even consider it's harder than medicine, for example. Uh, so you need to be good in statistics. You need to be good in law. <laughs> you need to speak different languages. You need to be good in the field. Uh, you need to programming, you need to do communication. And, and it's really hard to do everything and to be good at everything. So um, first, I would say marine biology is not only going out and looking at dolphin and taking picture. It's, right. it's not what it is. It's mainly uh, office work. And second, I would encourage any people from the Caribbean, like all of them, to trust themselves and just go, just try and just do our best. Uh, because... Just do it. Just don't think about how you could fail or whatever. Just try, do your best, and, and you're probably going to succeed. And if it doesn't work, just try again. I absolutely love that. And I feel like I am living proof of that. I had no idea how to start a podcast, and I started it. I just, you know, did my research, et cetera, got going, and now I'm on season two. So, yeah, just go for it. <laughs> so I know, for example, for sharks, right? 
um, one of the issues with like um, the rate at which sharks are being killed or removed from our oceans is the fact that they, you know, they take a long time to mature and then they have their young and they only produce like one or two offsprings and then they're hunted, etc. So is that the same case for cetaceans or do they reproduce at a shorter period? And I'm asking this because some people don't realize that if these animals are being, you know, killed or hunted from our oceans, they're not able to reproduce. So this is threatening their existence overall. So, yeah. Yes. So the, the answer is going to be different uh, for all the different species, of course. Right. Uh, so we, we, I cannot give you a number for everything at once. <laughs> but if, if you just think about being a sperm whale, for example, Mm -hmm. um when the distribution period is going to be more than a year so it's more than human and more than sharks um you're probably going to give birth for one pups and two-thirds of the pups going to die the first two years um so this is really really slow mm -hmm. and also you need to take account that all the sperm were going to go in a matriarchal uh, clan or group so just the grandmother, the mother, so just only women and the kids. And then you got some male sperm whale going around and you need to find them because the ocean is pretty big. <laughs> uh, and it's not always that you get a male. And sometimes you can see a lot of female going after one male <laughs> because it's rare. <laughs> and they right. need, to need to do it. Um, so, yeah, it's it's pretty critical right now. Um, our last count for sperm whale was um, given... I think 411 sperm whale in the lesser Antilles, which is really low considering the big space, what it is. Right. That's unfortunate. But I know you guys are doing amazing work and would work towards changing that number and stuff. So I am, I mean, I'm somewhat worried, but I'm not too worried. And so I just want to backtrack a little bit, right? So I know you mentioned, like, of course, the biggest threats to the cetaceans are humans. And there's no doubt about that. That is 2000% correct. I'm sure of it, right? But I also know that, like, recently in the region, we have been seeing an increase in, like, sargasm seaweed. So I want to know if that has a role to play in threatening these species, because I know they come up to the surface for air or to, to blow, blow out. I think that's the correct term and stuff. So I, I'm just wondering if the sarcasm in the region is a problem. So for now, uh, we don't really know. Uh, I think we, we would need further studies. Uh, what we've been seeing is some baby dolphin that have been kind of trapped Right. Some patch sometimes. So it's it happened in two times already uh, that I got picture of. Um so when the um, the sargassum patch is too um deep kind of um they get trapped and cannot go back in the water. But sometimes they also play with it. So some sperm <laughs> will just do hide and seek in the sargassum, for example. They just go in it and looks like you cannot see me. <laughs> They're just so big. Uh, right. Um, and like fishermen, sargassum uh, can be a good advantage too because they attract a lot of fish. Right. Um, so um, often when we can see sargassum patch, then seabird, then we got probably dolphin around too, uh, chasing other fish under the sargassum. So I would say yes and no, and we don't know yet. So we need to find out. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fair enough. And one last. Okay. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say one last thing. <laughs> and I know that we have some lists that might be excited now to go out and check to see, you know, if they can identify a dolphin, if they could even spot one. So I don't know if you could give some like key markers for us to probably identify one or two dolphins, or or more in the region. Up to you. Um. Yeah, so there's many guides online and that's where they give you a picture, which is even better. Um, but for example, if you go out and you see a dolphin, just look for three different things. Does he have a pink belly? If there's a pink belly, that's a phrase dolphin, is it? Um, does he have spots on the on the body, like white spot? Uh, if there's a lot of spots, it's probably going to be a principal spotted dolphin. Really easy. Um, and when it jumps, does it... Does it spin? If it do spin, like when you see in the TV, they do like, I don't know, like a lot of spin when they do jump. That's a spinner dolphin. So easy. <laughs> uh, so you got three. Pink belly, Fraser, uh, spotted uh, body, patripical spotted dolphin, and spinning out of the water, spinner dolphin. So easy. Nice. So you guys hear that. So if you want, if you're feeling adventurous, go forth and make sure and take some pictures and tag EcoVibes as well as the Caribbean Cetacean Society because we sent you and we gave you the tips and stuff. So if people would like to get involved or learn more information or even just support your work, would you like to tell people how they could find you and your organization? Sure. So you can type in Google Caribbean Cetacean Society. Uh, The website is like www.ccs.com dash ngo.com uh you can find us on facebook also on instagram so it's pretty easy and please reach out send an email there's a contact form so it's pretty easy and then we can have a chat or we can see from which island you come from and then see when we're doing some free work around there and you can maybe join in yeah be sure definitely guys be sure to reach out because they're doing amazing work and it's important work for want of a better term. So yes, reach out. So thank you again for joining me. You know, I really appreciate you once again, taking the time to chat with me. So guys, if you like this episode, be sure to give the Eco Vibes podcast some love and share it with your friends and family. And make sure to follow me at Eco Vibes on all socials to keep up to date with this project and the podcast. But wait a minute, I am just remembering before I finish wrap up this episode, I got to learn some French because you are from Martinique (laughs) and it's been something I was doing with season one where I was learning languages I learned Hebrew okay I wouldn't really say learned I said one phrase in Hebrew and that's fine but yeah I think it's amazing because we're from the Caribbean and some of us speak different languages you know we have English Spanish French Dutch and variations of Creole so I think that it's important that I learn something let's try with I love dolphin okay all right all right j'aime les dauphins wait one more time <laughs> j'aime les dauphins j'aime le dauphin dolphin le dauphin <laughs> <laughs> Oh, almost there. Just try. Okay, okay. Let me get out of my head. It's because I failed French for most of my my years at school. So I'm in my head. Okay, one more time. If you could give me the phrase again. J'aime les dauphins. J'aime les dauphins. Excellent. That's awesome. You can't even come to Martinique now. (laughs) And I would just be able to say, je m'appelle Khadija. And that's it. It's all good. Now you can say two things. (laughs) 
It's true. Right. So as I was saying, as I was giving my lovely outro, you know, this is the Caribbean Ocean Perspective series. It's been brought to you by Sustainable Ocean Alliance. Like I mentioned, we have so many other great episodes ahead. You just heard me speaking one phrase in French. Next episode, half is going to be in English and half is going to be in Spanish because we're speaking with somebody from the Dominican Republic and that should be very interesting. So look out for that. And once again, Jeffrey, thank you so much. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye.